0: So there I was. You're supposed to respond with, well, this is an army thing. You're supposed to respond with, so there you were. So there I was. Hey, Josh, come here. I hear yelled out across the office. Man, I was hard at work. I was sitting at my desk, I don't know, working on an Excel sheet or something. And I get up from my desk, I walk across the office. To my friend's office, to my coworker's office, and as I step into his office, he's sitting behind his desk and he looks up and he says to me, Josh, would you share your testimony with me? <laughs> yes! Man, this is the opportunity I've been praying for. This is the opportunity I've been hoping for as I've prayed specifically for this. Guy, And as I get excited, he looks at me and he says, if you do that, I will punch you in the face. (laughs) Okay, that wasn't the response that I necessarily expected. But it did lead to some further conversations with him. As I sat down, as I asked my friend, Man, what church hurts do you have? Uh, What's your spiritual background? Uh, You know the language of a testimony. Um, What has caused you to be this opposed to the good news about Jesus Christ? But in that moment, it also brought to mind to me the words of Jesus that are the theme for our missions conference this year, as we will be refocusing our hearts on God's harvest. So we'll turn this morning to Matthew chapter nine, verses 35 to 38. It says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, But the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so, God, we pray this morning as we pause for just a moment. God, would you give us the compassion of Jesus for the world? God, would you give us the compassion of Jesus for our neighbors? Lord, as we desire to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. So here in this text, Jesus rolls up into town and he's bringing the good news that God's kingdom has come to earth. The good news is that Jesus has defeated death, that he reigns as the one true king that he's dealt with our sin problem and he's conquered death with his life. And as Jesus is preaching this message of God's kingdom, I imagine for just a moment that he's kneeling down as sick people are coming to him and he's healing them and he looks up and he sees a vast crowd and his heart breaks he feels compassion. He feels pity on those that he sees because they're helpless, they're distressed, and they're dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus feels pity because they don't have a shepherd to lead and guide them. And I felt this same pity. I felt the same compassion for my friend. And I wonder this morning if you've ever felt that compassion or that pity for a friend that doesn't yet know Jesus. The text here, it goes on to look at our theme verses for the missions conference. As I imagine, Jesus' eyes are lifted up to the crowd's he turns to his disciples and he looks at his disciples and he he says to them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. So ask. Ask the Lord to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus says that there is a harvest of people that are ready to hear the good news of his kingdom, but there's not enough workers in the harvest field. And friends, the reality is that this truth in the first century, it's the same in the 21st century. The harvest is still plentiful. There are people that are primed, that are ready for the good news of Jesus, but there aren't enough people that are willing to say yes to go. Consider this with me for just a moment. We live in an era that we can be just about anywhere in the world in 24 hours. Yet the Joshua Project projects that there are 3.4 billion people on the planet, image bearers of the king, that have little to no access to the gospel. 42.4% of people on our planet, people that are distressed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, have little to no access to the gospel. The, jo- the Joshua Project, again, estimates that there are 7,246 people groups, distinct ethnic groups, who are less than 2% Christian. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. These people, they've never had the chance to hear that Jesus is king and that through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he's provided a way for them to have new life. Their biggest need, their sin problem, they've never had a chance to hear that Jesus Solves it. The harvest in 2024 is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so I wonder today when you hear about these unreached peoples, or when you see the face of your neighbor across the street, do you have a heart for God's harvest? Does your heart break? with compassion, with pity, as Jesus d- did when he saw the crowds. And I'm, I'm constantly encouraged by our church as I hear about many of you, that, about how God is opening up conversations for the gospel with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers. We have a lot to celebrate here as a local church And my hope this morning, as we hear three different testimonies of how God has given a few people in our church a heart for his his harvest, is that for each of us, every single one of us here, that will once again have the flames of our heart fanned for God's mission as we seek to see his kingdom advance to all 17,281 people people groups on the earth. I hope that we all consider how we can play a part as God's workers in his harvest field. And so this morning, I wanna invite up uh, Nate Ross and Ken Klingman uh, as they are part of the 27 gospel workers that as a church we partner with to take the gospel to the end's of the earth, These are guys that are from our church. Almost all 27 of those workers have sat in these seats. And they've said yes to take the gospel locally to our nation and to the ends of the earth. So I wanna invite these guys up. Uh, Nate and Ken labor with the UNI Navigators and they are ministering directly to the UNI I wrestling team. So I want to give them just a few moments to share how God has grown their heart for the harvest uh, and what he's, they're seeing him do.
1: Thanks, Josh. Yeah, 20 years ago, God called, I'm Ken, by the way, this is young Rock, Rock. Okay. I need a high tech no, We're waiting for the mic. So uh, the first thing I want to do is, I see that uh, Drew Foster's here with Jamie. Drew, Everybody knows that Drew is our last national champion wrestler. That's old history. His wife, Jamie, just passed her board certification for a PA. So let's hear it. Uh, 20 years ago, Linda and I felt a real call to get back on campus and specifically to reaching out to one of the people groups of the world called wrestlers. Uh, they are a unique bunch, and you have to deal with them with kid gloves. They're pretty sensitive people. And uh, it took some, some time to get used to that, but we, I think both of us are working our way into that issue. Um, 20 years ago, I had that, that heart, and so I, I went up to the uh, coach's office at UNI former coach, and, and ask him a question. I said, do you think that I could add value to your wrestling program if I just were available to get to know the guys? I had a counseling background. I could spend time with them and help them with issues that they face as college students. And I personally found that my college years, I made some of the biggest decisions of my life and along with that if possible i'd like to start a bible study for any of the guys that would want to do that his response to me was you could add value and why don't you show up next tuesday for our first wrestling meeting of the year and uh, take 10 minutes and tell the guys what you just told me so the next tuesday i showed up at the west gym and everybody's sitting on the mat and uh, I don't know a single guy in that room except the coach I just talked to. And I was really scared. And uh, I just told him what I just said and that uh, if any of you would like just me to be a part of your life in any way or a couple of you together to spend time with me, I, I, that's what I'm here for. And I, I would love to do that. I appreciate you guys for the hard work you put in. I know that you're in a tough sport and so on. And I sat down and the meeting went on and, and the, the coach finished with everything and then we all stood up and I thought, now this will be interesting. Uh, and, and while I was thinking that, some guys started coming over to me. And sure enough, five or six guys, none of whom had any religious background whatsoever, said, uh, kind of one at a time, said, an, an assistant coach, by the way, approached me. And they said... I think I'd like to spend some time with you. One of them said, I've been seeing a sports psychologist, but I kind of just, I've always thought there ought to be a little bit of a God in the equation here when I talk and and get help from someone. So that began uh, a Bible study in our home uh, that went for many, many years. And uh, that also alerted us to the fact that Linda was gonna have to be a co-partner in this ministry because they come to your house She started fixing smoothies. She started having chili feeds. And she got, really, she was more important than I was. (laughs) I found out that the wrestlers would come in, they'd go to the kitchen and start eating whatever she had and they would just keep talking to her. She has a background in wrestling from Oklahoma State University. And uh, I used to have to call them out of the kitchen, say, guys, let's get in here and get this Bible study started. Uh, but those were fruitful times, and I remember Eric as, as one of the very first guys. Eric was a very successful wrestler, a uh, two time All American, and he was a senior, which is unusual. And Eric came up to me and said, I, I really don't know God, and, and I want to know God. And uh, we spent time together, and I think it was probably a couple weeks later, we actually came over here to one of the classrooms at Trinity. Where I had a whiteboard and I showed him an illustration we call the bridge illustration which talks about coming from death to life in Christ and uh, Eric's heart was ready and he prayed a prayer with me and, and invited Christ to be not only his savior but the one that he wanted to follow the rest of his life well he was engaged to Jill and that the year, then Jill started attending our wrestler Bible study, and uh, they were married. And uh, he, Eric, went into banking. Jill went into teaching here in Waterloo area. And a couple of months later, Eric said, "I have this amazing feeling that God's going to call me to be a pastor." And but he stayed with banking a couple of years, moved to Rochester, Minnesota, and I got a call from him one day and said, "Ken." I am going to be a pastor. I'm going to sign up for seminary, which he did for three or four years. And uh, Eric now is a pastor of a very successful church in Wausau, Wisconsin. But that was what a, what a transformation from collegiate to having an impact on many people in, in, uh, in Wausau. I think of Trevor Kittleson who uh, was one of the first guys to come into Bible study a couple years after that. And I was showing that same bridge illustration in the living room with a whole bunch of guys around. And, and uh, it, the, the concept is that you need to hear about Jesus and believe in him. And uh, at the end of my presentation, uh, Trevor said, you know, I've, gone to, I've really gone to church all my life, and I've heard about Jesus, and I've, I think I believe in him. But I, I think you're talking about something a little more important than just a kind of a head belief. And so I, I suggested that you look at Revelation 3.20 and the concept of Jesus knocking at the door of your life. And, and you opening that door and inviting him to come in and be the Lord of your life. And uh, he got, Trevor got up off the, the floor and you got to know Trevor but he got up and grabbed the, the marker from me and drew a little stick figure of himself, a door, and and Jesus standing at the door. And he says, I want all my buddies to know that I did that, made that decision just now. And uh, Trevor really began to uh, follow Christ, get into the scriptures, and grow. And so these are the things that were beginning to happen uh, in those first years, and... We're just... It's a calling that I cannot imagine, and uh, Nate has been experiencing that too, and I'm going to turn it over to you, Nate. You can follow with that. Thanks,
2: Ken. Well, uh, this is exactly what I hoped would happen. I've been timing us, and, Ken, you took all of our time. Uh, (laughs) But, and Ken has... uh, well, I won't age you here, but Ken has a lot more experience than I do, and he has a lot more stories to share, really, than I do. And I love, Ken and I get together every week, and I try to hear as many of those stories as I can. And my last, uh, just really quickly, I, I went to school here at UNI. I joined staff with the Navigators. I did a program called EdgeCore. And in my third year of staff here at UNI, Ken and I met just about every week. We'd always go to Pizza Ranch. Uh, all right, you can tell. We're not, we're not wrestlers, all right? Uh, we'd always go to Pizza Ranch. We'd eat to do the all-you-can-eat all buffet, and we'd just share stories, and I got to hear about this amazing wrestling ministry that God had given him. And a few times, I went into the West Gym with him, and I'd get to watch practice and see the guys interact with him, and I just thought, this is amazing. This is an amazing ministry that God's given him. What a unique and exciting ministry field. And then, and then God called our family to Oregon, to go and help the the Nelsons who go here to this church to to launch a a navigators ministry at Oregon State. And to be honest, I kind of stopped thinking about wrestlers at that point. We went out to Oregon State. The goal was to get a ministry off the ground. We were not, uh, we weren't going after athletes. There were some other people on campus doing that. And I just, uh, I didn't think about wrestlers. Uh, I would watch wrestling on TV, but in terms of the ministry to the guys, it wasn't on my mind. And then Ken one day says, you know, you really should stop into the coach's office. I know the guy. He, he used to coach here in Iowa. And just tell him Ken Klingman says hi and just see what happens. So I did kind of what you said. You said you walked in and you were scared. I did the same thing. I figured out where the coach's office was on campus, and I went and I knocked on the door, and I said something like, hi, I'm from Iowa. Uh, and I think you know Ken Klingman. Ken Klingman. And the, the assistant coach goes, I don't know who that is, but maybe Jimmy does. And so then I went and I met the coach there, and, and we had a little conversation, and he said I could come to practice. And that was all I needed was an invitation to come to practice and to begin to meet the guys. And this amazing thing happened. Up until then, I, I didn't feel passionate about reaching wrestlers with the gospel. I knew that God wanted to use my life to reach college students, and that's what I'd given my life to, but those wrestlers weren't on my radar, but I went to, to practice with Ken's suggestion, and then I went again, and I went again, and I started to hear stories, and I started to talk with the guys on the side that were out with injuries, and I would talk to them before and after practice, and, and God did this amazing thing in my heart and in, in Becca's heart as we begin to get to know these guys, all of a sudden we had this burning passion to see these guys' lives changed by the gospel. And so that's just, that's kind of the encouragement I want to give to you is that if you will show up, if you you will uh, look for the opportunities that God's giving you and show up and continue to be faithful with consistency over time, uh, God will do some amazing things. And so that, I, I, I could share a lot more and Ken could share a lot more, but our time is, uh, we're way over our time now. So thank you, uh, for, for allowing us to speak with you today and find us, find us after church and we'll share more.
0: Thanks guys. I, uh, man, faithfulness over time. I love that, uh, man, I know Ken and Nate, and they are about as common and ordinary as they come. (laughs) Uh, But they've just faithfully labored in God's harvest as he's given them a heart uh, for his people um, over time. And we can look in the middle section here and see the fruit of those labors. And so I wonder today, uh, again, do you have a heart for God's harvest, for the place that He's placed you, uh, where the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few? I want to invite Dee Dee up on the stage, too. Dee Dee just got back this week from Eastern Europe, uh, where she spent, I think, three months, right? Two and a half, Two and a half months in Eastern Europe. Uh, and this is her third, fourth, fifth. Fourth time, uh, that she has said yes to God uh, to go to Eastern Europe to take his gospel to a place that there are very, very few Christians. So,
3: First of all, let's, let me say how thankful I am to be home and to get to share with you. And um, thank you for your support financially and your prayers and uh just sending me um, for, so that I can go and do what God has asked me to do. I love coming home except that I had frozen water pipes. But two of your guys, our guys, here came to my house, put heaters under the house, and I have running water. So I don't stink today, I don't think. <laughs> so I love the theme of a heart for the harvest and i feel like god's been growing that up in me ever since i was a child i gave my pennies to uh, missions so that we could build a church or not a church a hospital in africa um i prayed for missionary kids because that's what we did when we went to church they gave us little prayer partners i um was invited to visit with gospel workers when they came to our church. And so I got to find out that they're just regular, ordinary people who are willing to say yes to Jesus. They're not spiritual giants necessarily. They're just obedient and faithful to God's call. Then I uh, had a short-term mission trip, and that learned— It led to six years in Haiti. So all of that is different ways added together for God to actually break my heart for his harvest that's there and make me willing to say yes to him. Uh, Since I retired from nursing, I've been on uh, seven trips. My trips are to go as a helper to the long-term worker. So it changes every time I go. The first time it was primarily childcare; I felt really qualified for that. But then the next time it got to working with interns and teaching about prayer, kind of out of my comfort zone. Um, but it was amazing—an amazing experience. And each time, it changed what God asked for me to do. Um, Primarily, today, I just want to share with you about the last two and a half months, and um i I felt like last summer God asked me to be willing to go more and be more available, and I honestly did not want to. This is my home, I love you guys. this is where I'm comfortable. And I kind of said, I'm doing enough, God. And he kind of said, you're not. And there was a lot of ugly crying. Just ask Pastor Peter. There was ugly crying. Um, Before I was willing to come to a point where I just said, okay, Lord, if you want me to go again, I'll go again. So last summer I was there, and then I went back a couple months ago. What I didn't know is that the long-term workers that were there would um, be going through even more transition than they had already been through and that they would just need extra hands. So, um, again, it was God just working in my heart and giving me uh, until I was willing to say yes. um, Listening for his still small voice. So, um, one of the things that I did this winter was to see the mosses off. The mosses are long-term workers that we have supported and prayed for, and you've also supported them by sending me. So there's a great God story, and someday I will share it with you, but about how I was able to be there, meet the kids. They had two little kids. Meet them before they went, be there when they got there, and then see them off this winter, which was just an amazing experience. Shredding. I am the shredding queen. There are documents that will never be known to anyone that were shredded over and over and over again. But you know what that did? That did, uh, it allowed the long-term worker to do the things that God had for them to do. The shredding had to be done. And they would have had to do that if I hadn't just been there to shred. And our shredder didn't work very well. You'd do like 20 papers and it would stop. And then you'd have to just sit until it all started back up, and then you could do 20 more. So that was one of my jobs. The other one was building relationships and um, with our nationals in the country and even with nationals um, in neighboring countries, and looking for people who know Jesus. And always looking for an opportunity to share about Jesus. Um, our people there are very, um, religion in, in the county where I live is traditional, it is um, national, it's their nationality, and it's um, their culture. And one religion does not get along with the other. And through war, it's been um, a lot of strongholds of bitterness and unforgiveness and lack of trust have, along with a lot of other strongholds, have been built up. And we know that it's only the power of Jesus that can break those strongholds. But in my county, we have 10,000, no, we have 70,000 people. And we do not have one evangelical church. And to our knowledge, we do not have one professing Christian there. Other than the two long-term workers that are there. Another um, place where we went and built relations was in a place I'm going to call the Balkans. uh, For some security reasons. But there's two people there, a man and wife. They live in a city of 40,000 people, and there are no evangelical churches. There are no known Christians there. So right there, we have 110,000 people with four people who know and believe and walk with Jesus to reach them. And that's just like the tip of the iceberg. Like you could go all over Europe and hear the same story, that religion is not about a relationship with Jesus and that the harvest is humongous and just a few people to work. Um, One of the other highlights, well, first let me tell you about that place we went. We went just because we were asked to go. The couple that was there working primarily among some Muslim people had had just a really hard year her mother had passed away so we were asked to go and just encourage them so we went over new year's eve we got to see the fireworks new year's eve and they don't like it's not a one place shoots off the firework everybody buys fireworks and everybody shoots fireworks off so your head is like on a spindle just turning trying to see it all but The real important part about that visit was that we walked, we talked, we saw them pour the love of Jesus out on people as we walked the streets. We saw the love that people had for them. And we prayed. We had the sweetest prayer time there. And all of us, we went to encourage them. But Courtney, my my Eastern Europe long-term worker and I, were so blessed just to be in their in, in their presence and to hear their story and to see how God had worked miracles for them. So Courtney was my person that I was with that um, I don't know if you remember a Dr. Dunn that came from Bartlesville and spoke, but she's his daughter. And it's like I could be her grandma and she could be my grandchild but we are like really good friends. And I felt like my ministry, my main calling this year was to giggle and laugh. So we did. We baked cookies and we laughed. And we watched movies and we laughed. And um, helping sometimes when you're on the field, everything just seems really heavy. And sometimes you just need to laugh. And that's the best medicine in the whole world. So we did a lot of laughing. We did a lot of baking and taking goodies to people's homes for Christmas. And that's what Christmas is in that country, in Eastern Europe. It is spending time with people. So you don't buy presents. Nobody buys presents. But you take your goodies and you go to your friend's house. And then you spend two hours having coffee And talking and getting to know each other and um, they put out meat and cheese and biscuits and at the end of two weeks of Christmas you're tired of meat and cheese and biscuits but um, that was a highlight because every time we get into their homes it gives us more opportunities to talk about Jesus and more opportunities to share I always laugh because one of the things people would some of the I go to a knitting class and have made I don't even like to knit really but um it gave me an opportunity to build relationships with the older ladies in the community and um they would say to me oh for your age you look so young how can you be that old and I'd say Jesus everything goes back to jesus just keep bringing him up and bringing him up but um yeah they those ladies i do have a finished scarf so i'll show you it's only finished because they took over the last night and finished it for me so um i'm kind of skipping around in my notes but i just want to go back to that Seventy thousand people in eastern europe in the in the county where I live. And 40,000 people means 110,000 people with four people to share the gospel with them. People who don't know the language well, they're trying to learn it. No one with their heart language is there to share. None of them have evangelical churches. I passed four churches on my way to church today. We have so much to be grateful for. And to go with what uh, Pastor Josh said, four out of every ten people in the world do not have access to the gospel. So I'm praying that God will raise up workers to go into his harvest. And that doesn't mean just Americans going. That means workers from every culture, everywhere, going everywhere. Because sometimes, well, actually, there are a couple countries now where Our workers have not been able to get visas, but people from other countries can get visas to go in. So we're praying for people from everywhere to go to everywhere. And then just last, before I leave, I I was asked if there are sacrifices to going, and I would say yes, but 1,000% worth it. So... um, it might be a little thing, like this time all I wanted was a 100% hamburger hamburger without other meats included in it. Um, or it might be a bigger one, like being asked to go back a second time this year and and really struggling to give up being here with you. So... um <clears throat> I think I'll just close it by asking you, will you pray? Will you pray with us that God will send out workers? All of us can do that. Will you ask him how he wants to use you? Maybe it's just going across the street to talk to and become a friend to a neighbor. Or maybe he's going to call you to another people group. Maybe the wrestlers. But maybe Bosnians. Or maybe um, another country so whether it's big or small um, whatever God's asking you to I'm gonna ask you to just say yes Lord Um, I know and I believe in our mission statement of making disciples who make disciples and I know that we as a church, if we say yes to Jesus, we can do that, not just here in the Cedar Valley, but around the world. So thanks for letting me share.
0: Thanks. Thanks, Dee Dee. Uh Again, common, ordinary steps of obedience. Just saying yes to Jesus, even if it's just giving your pennies. Uh, as a child.